Hey friends, this is Stacey Bellward. I'm the host of the Connected Families podcast. You know, our purpose for this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Well, hey, are you concerned that your child won't eat anything but junk food? (laughs) Our meals a struggle. Well, you know, the topic of meals and eating issues came onto our radar, particularly through our work with families of sensitive and intense kids. Often kids with extra sensitivities have greater difficulty eating. Because of that, Lynn Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families, wrote a whole section into the sensitive and intense online course about eating. Some of that content we put into a free ebook available to you You can check out the show notes for a link to get that right now if you want, but I will talk about that more at the break. To dive into this topic of eating struggles, I invited Christina Jacks, she's a licensed nutritionist, to come onto the show today to bring hope, clarity, practical tips. She's a mom who has walked through it. Hey, Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be with you guys. This is such an important topic and one that really kind of weighs heavy on parents. And as a registered dietitian and nutritionist, I have walked through many families going through this, many adult children who had sort of a legacy of, you know, dysfunctional eating because of of the way the family cycle worked and they want to right correct it. And then also being a mom myself, you know, God's always great at giving you your own case study and he definitely did. So yeah, so I'm excited to be here. I really am passionate about optimizing people's health and lives. A little brief introduction, obviously you gave it to me, but I am a co-founder of A4 Health, which is a nutrition and holistic health consulting company. We work with a wide range of clients, including employee wellness, athlete teams. I am the dietitian for the San Jose Sharks and the Minnesota Wild, along with my co-founder, Jenna Stanglin. But we also do work with a lot of of sensory issues. We do work with people with gastrointestinal challenges and beyond. So really always with the focus on finding the root cause of concerns and not just putting band-aids on anything. We're not cookie cutter. It is a one size fits one. So as we talk about these general principles today, you know, I'm going to give some general ideas and guidelines. You guys all know you have very unique children and families. So some of it works and some of it doesn't. And that's why working with professionals and coaching throughout your journey on this can be really important to customize it as well. We're going to have links to all those things that Christina mentioned, her business, her podcast, the places where anyone can connect with you, Christina, but also tell us about your family and raising your kids. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, I have my own case study. And so I actually reached out to my 20 year old, now 20 year old. She actually way back when her name's Ava and she worked with Lynn Jackson when she was three years old. And uh, my husband and I already knew we were both healthcare practitioners and we both knew that Ava was on, on the sort of that intense sensory sort of track. And, you know, you could see that from day one. And so she was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder when she was young and and we really took action right away. When Ava was about like two and a half to three, she was 
you know, limited maybe to 10 foods that she would, would be accepting to her. And so I knew, okay, here's my own case study on doing sensory process with a child because they feel everything more intensely, right? I mean, everything is brighter and squishier and all of those things that we feel, right? And louder. So I sent her a note and I just said, Hey, I'm a guest on a podcast this week. Question for you. What do you think was the most helpful things we did in our family that helped you become a healthy and adventurous eater in spite of your sensory issues? And so this is the exact response I got back from my daughters. And I can give specifics along the way, but I love this. And I hope it's an encouragement because she was literally like eating 10 things at two and a half. She said, good morning. (laughs) I think something that was helpful for me is that you guys were consistently having me try new things, but not completely for forcing them down my throat. I think especially the consistency part, you kept uh, having me trying new things, but if I really wasn't into a food, you would just let me eat something I was comfortable with. It probably Mm. depends on the person, but there's a delicate balance of pushing to try new foods, but not forcing it if I've tried it and said no. And there were so many foods that I didn't like for such a long time that I've eventually come around to like tomatoes. There are some things I still don't like. And I think the difference between foods that have sensory issues versus something you don't like is also a difference. And I know that I can get beyond some of my sensory issues. And I also know foods that I just don't like. I like that. So she has been able to differentiate between foods with sensory version, bring mm-hmm. the sensory version to her and then foods that she just doesn't like. Yeah. And I think one of the ways that we did it, so Ava gave you a beautiful, you know, rundown of what her journey was. But one of the other keys is I always would try new approaches with the food. So cooking methods. That's one. So right off the bat, you could say, well, a child doesn't like broccoli or cauliflower. Well, I don't like broccoli or cauliflower. I don't like it. It's not a sensory issue. I don't like it. And that's the same of of my kids too. But when I roast them, well now, and then if I add certain flavors or seasonings with it, now this is a whole new food because raw broccoli and roasted broccoli are two very different things. Now I will tell you, Brussels sprouts is another thing. It's got an odor <laughs> and it just does. <laughs> And when I roast Brussels sprouts, and especially if I roast it with bacon, now this is a culinary delight. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a key thing. Carrots are another thing. Some kids don't like the baby carrot. It's too much or even carrot sticks. So one of the things that I like to do is get those carrot slices that almost look like waffle fries. So they have them like waffle fry looking carrot chip. They're actual carrots, friends. They're, you know, like, so in the refrigerated section, but that's one way because it's a great little dipper. The sensory is different. It's more like a chip and less like this big mushy thing I've got to gnarl through. So those are just a couple examples, but it may not be the food. It may be the delivery method that food is coming in. And so just when Ava was talking about that, I tell you, we tried every different way on things around things like tomatoes and all of that. And for a long time, she just wouldn't eat tomatoes. And now she does because it's just been an evolution of finding the thing that works for her. Can you speak to the parent 
who feels really worried. So you were that parent when your child didn't was only eating 10 things. This parent is worried because they're in that stage. Their child is not eating very many things and the things that they're eating are not very healthy. So now they're feeling like my child is going to be malnourished if they keep doing this right? and I need to be a good mom here or a good dad. Speak to that parent. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. So we've got it. I think it's uh, this culture of convenience a little bit in the United States too, because if you look globally and you look at culturally specific diets, children will eat some really fascinating things that American children wouldn't because they've never been exposed to just eating real whole foods. I want to go back even to the beginning. The As much as you can expose your children to real food, not convenience foods, not what you're marketed to by Gerber and everybody else, but actually real food. And when children are eating real food, and it's not just foods of convenience, they will grow a taste palate that is more balanced and holistic and nutrient dense. If that ship sailed a little bit, and you've already been down that train of convenience foods and things like that, and I was not perfect, that's for dang sure. I mean, there were definitely fruit snacks in our universe. And there was definitely some behavioral design work I did with fruit snacks and and behavior with my kids. I would say that, you know, trust the fact that they, when they are really hungry, they will really eat. And this is one of the hardest things. So whatever parenting thing that you have a problem saying no to, whether we we do this with sleep hygiene too, right? Do you let the kids cry themselves to sleep? Do you co-sleep? You know, these are all these questions that parents weigh on themselves. Mm -hmm. I will tell you as a dietitian, there are some really stubborn kids out there and some really big time sensory issues. I'm not talking about them because that that's a whole nother conversation that we could have. But if you have a picky eater and all they want to do is snack, I think the, the key component is get the snacks out of the house. And I know that you don't want to hear that. I like the snacks. I want the snacks. Can I hide the snacks, Christina? <laughs> you can't hide the snacks. <laughs> but your <laughs> modeling is huge and parents don't like to hear that either, but it's so true. Kids really paying on, on their parents' behavior. So this is a little bit of the tough love factor that has to happen. Kids will not curl up and die if they miss a meal when they are hungry enough. And again, it was like foods that Ava felt comfortable with, right? That's what she said. She goes, you would constantly expose me to new stuff. And if I didn't want to accept it at that time, you know, you just continue to try new ways, but like an acceptable food for Ava was always an apple. It was safe to her. Some kids, that's a sensory thing. They don't really like it, but she liked apples. She liked fruit in general. So like that was kind of a a big thing for her is fruit. So Christina, how did that look? Like when say she's five years old, you present her with a new food. How did you present it to her? Can you just like even give those words? And then what was the expectation? She just had to take one bite. Could she spit it out? Like paint that picture for us. Yeah. So sometimes it was literally about touching and smelling it, not even Mm. putting it in the mouth. Because when you're on a range of sensory issues, sometimes, you know, human behavior, we're designed for survival. So this mechanism of saying no to new foods was to protect us. We wanted Mm. to see if it was poisonous, if it was toxic, if it had gone bad. So we're wired for that. And that's a protectionist thing. And some people are more protectionist than others on their accepting of foods. So sometimes, so I'll give you an example, bok choy. If folks who are listening don't know what bok choy is, it is a cabbage. It's an Asian cabbage. It's one of my favorites. I really, really 
really love it. And it has a distinct texture. It's very crunchy on the ends, almost like celery. And then it's got a leafy green part. So there's a lot going on if you've got sensory stuff and it's a vegetable. So it tastes like a vegetable. So one of the things we, we started it out raw, which is not my favorite way of doing it, but Ava did like crunchy things like apples and, you know, and I just let her play around with it, you know, play with it, put it in her mouth, smell it. She mostly just like licked it at first and was like, yeah, you know, and then I do have another child too. This is funny. I do have a child, another one named Bennett and he would eat anything, anything, try anything, (laughs) but he also doesn't like certain foods. So, you know, and, and that was, and having this family environment where you can speak up to not liking something. Hmm. Or not liking something in the day, right? So anyway, over time, we started cooking it. And I said, which part do you think would be tastier, the crunchy side or the leafy side? And let's just gnaw on it, see which one we like better. And so, and then I put a ton of butter and salt on it, a ton, because yeah. it's a vegetable. And so that's another key point. Just drop it on caring if the kid dips it in a sauce puts butter and salt on it. Like the the key is to expose them to new foods and to get Mm -hmm. them to accept it. Eventually they become adults who put less butter and salt on their foods because they are now aware of their health behavior. But it doesn't matter when they're five, you know, are you going to feed them a, a processed junk food instead? No. So just drop it on caring whether there's butter and salt or bacon grease or whatever is on this thing. So eventually over time with Ava, we cut off the leaves and I would just give her the bottom part and she loves rice, loves rice. So how did I get her to accept it? Eventually I gave her just the part she likes with a ton of butter and salt. And I matched it with a comfort food, which for her is rice. Mm. And so, you know, it was like, Ooh, I have something that I can eat here. And it makes it a happy experience not a stressful experience. There was not an expectation that she had to eat all of it ever over time. You know, I would make jokes. I'm like, bok choy is your friend. We've seen bok choy many times now. Bok choy <laughs> is, is a buddy at our table. So we're going to, we're in it. We're going to include it in some of the things that we're eating now, you know, cause it's not a new food anymore. We've been having this bok choy around a ton. And then if she still wouldn't eat it, there was always an expectation of vegetation. So then you can go back to your apple. You can go back to your berries. She likes berries too. You know, there was always an expectation of vegetation. Meaning they have to eat some type of vegetation. Yep. Yep. We are not just sitting down and eating carbs. And I could see, you know, a lot of times if that's the direction it was going to go, I would put out vegetation first and go, as I'm finishing making the rest of this or bringing it to the table, we can get the vegetation stuff going. Let's, let's get that. Let's check that box. And then, you know, then whatever else you want to eat, because of course. I love that. Okay. So vegetation means anything grown, correct? So it has to be fruit or vegetables. Fruit or vegetable. And a lot of parents get really hung up. Like my kid doesn't eat any vegetables. Okay then how about we just uh, have fruit, you know, like, well, mm-hmm. they only eat three fruit. Okay. Well now start exposing them to other fruit. That's just kind of my method over time. You'll continue to add again, expose them to more vegetables, things that they like. And also, I mean, there is covering the, the nutrient gaps, right? And so there are ways, you know, whether through its vitamins and minerals or things like that. And that's a lot of times with parents whose kids have a really limited diet. I work with them on identifying nutrients of need that their kid will be missing and then, and then supplementing. It's not a 
ideal. I'm a foods first dietitian and I would rather have people do it through foods. But as we're building that, just to take the the stress and strain off the parent thinking that their kid's going to be nutrient deficient, we find mm-hmm. some workarounds through supplementation as we continue to build on it. But caving and just giving up sets a pattern that's really hard to break uh, throughout yeah. the rest of parenting. So, you know, just put in the work without, mm-hmm. as you heard my daughter say, without force. I and mean, it wasn't yeah. ever like, you have to eat this. And Ava didn't yeah. like things touching each other. So we had the plates with the boundaries, you know, the little ridges like you have at a cafeteria um, and the little compartments. And I just um, honored that. Okay, I want, I will try to eat this, but it can't touch the other food. Okay. Now you should see this child. She makes like Asian cuisine is her favorite. She's mixing up everything and it's going into these like power bowls and things I never thought that she would get to, but she did. So it's just a slow progression. What I hear is that you're just taking those things that could be power control issues and you're just kind of taking them off. They're gone. They're just, they're just not something that you're going to kind of have a struggle with your child over and insist on. So I hear such a lighthearted atmosphere around food. Yeah. And just having fun with it. I mean, we hear this all the time. I'm not saying anything new under the sun, but it's really true. Research over and over shows it too on having the kids involved. And I know it's a drag parents. I get it because we're busy. We're doing all this, but I'd also have to say, let's prioritize cooking and meal prep and even menu design of the house as an activity. That is an activity, planning our meals out. So my kids, it was in a certain age, they were like early elementary to almost middle school. Then you kind of lose them. They don't care anymore. And you probably got them on some good behaviors if you're sort of tracking on this. But you could do this, my suggestion that's coming up, you could do this well beyond. I do this now with my adult children, but it's more of a fun thing. And it's having them plan a menu. So when they were little, we would take out a, you know, a, a week grid of what we need to eat. And each child got to pick a dinner or a lunch that was completely designed by them. But it did have four food groups. And I say four because vegetation, I lump into one. If they didn't want to have a vegetable in their meal design, they didn't have to. Both my kids adore fruit. So there was always a lot of fruit, but they had to design, they had to learn what well-balanced menu planning was. So there had to be a protein, there had to be a starch, and then there had to be a vegetation, and then there had to be a healthy beverage. And the healthy beverage in our family, we allowed things that were, we would fresh press our own juice and we would also buy juice from time to time, but dairy was part of it or water was part of it. But so that other food group with a healthy beverage, but that way they got to see sort of, you know, what, you know, menu planning was about and they were invested in it and then they got to help cook it. And they would have to help me figure out what are the ingredients that need to go on it. And it also helps them read and organize and project manage. I mean, that's, that's what cooking does. It's such a skill of, you know, all of that. And then now with my adult children, they're going to come visit from college here uh, shortly. And I said, all right, guys, you know, plan what you want to eat. Tell me like, we'll go to a grocery store. And I know they've got both of them have their favorite meals and I'm sure that's what it'll be. So as an adult children, they still do that too. But I think that's research shows it and prioritize it. We spend so much time thinking up crazy activities to do with our kids, you know, to keep them entertained. How about we prioritize cooking? Because that takes a lot of stress off of it too. It lets them be the master and the controller. 
I think you had a question when we were talking about parents getting frustrated, right? About you put We're going to get to that. Why don't we get to that after the break, Christina? Because okay. yeah, I think that yeah. parents can get tired. I just wanted to add that I don't think I've been super good at including my, my kids into our meal prep. And actually like many things, there's seasons when I was better at it and I was not so good at it, but you know, summertime was always so much better. And I can remember setting our family up, you know, just as the school year was ending and especially as the kids got a little bit older and I wanted them to know how to cook different meals and be more responsible for it. So we would, I would, I would ask them like, what are three things that you really want to learn how to cook this summer? And I'm thinking they were very, um, maybe even 10, 11, 12 years old, like even almost before middle school. It's been such a joy now having my oldest in college and she is finding recipes and cooking and look what I made. And I figured out how to do rice with chicken flavoring. It's really fun. But that's what I would just say to everybody is find a system or a way that it works for you to include your kids. When mine were much, much smaller, it was over baking or over, you know, one-off kind of things at the beginning. And I wanted it to be super connective time together. And then later they were more and more involved in planning the whole meal and grocery shopping. And yeah. And I love the season when grocery shopping got really tiresome for me. I laid out the paper on the Island and I was like, what meals do you guys want to have this week? Yeah. You have to put a meal down. That's what I will go and shop for. And then they may or may not be in charge of cooking it, but they were just part of the, the menu planning. And that really worked. I love that system too. All right, Christina, thanks so much. We're going to go to a break. And after we come back, we are going to talk about and talk to the tired parents who they're just, their tired food has just become a big deal. And um, we want to give them some encouragement. Have you ever said, my child won't eat anything but junk food? This might be an exaggeration, but some kids really struggle with eating and trying new foods. And you as the parent, you're probably struggling too because there's a lot of angst, power struggle, even parent guilt around the topic of mealtimes and eating. We have a new free ebook to offer you. It's called Picky Picky. It has 14 pages filled with faith perspective, research, and practical tips to help you get unstuck no matter your level of struggle. In fact, the ebook is divided into three sections depending on your situation. So which one describes you? Maybe you have a typical kid chaos situation going on at mealtime, or maybe your child has very limited selections of foods that they eat. Or then third, maybe your child won't sit still to eat and that's your struggle. Well, in this ebook, you will be able to get right to the content no matter what your situation is. You can get the free ebook called Picky Picky by going to our website and clicking on the resources. There's many free resources there, or you can find the direct link in the show notes. Grab this useful resource today. Well, we're back after the break and I have Christina Jacks with me. She is a licensed nutritionist, podcaster on nutrition, owns her own business, um, is the nutritionist for the Timberwolves. That's what you said at the beginning. Is that what you said? No, the wild. Actually, my business partner, Jenna, 
Dr. Jenna actually is the dietitian for the Minnesota Timberwolves. We both work with the Minnesota Wild and then I work with the San Jose Sharks. So yeah. Sharks. Awesome. That's really fun. But maybe for all of our listeners on this podcast, she has two kids and one had some eating things that, that she worked through. And so uh, Christina has lots of experience working with families, but also practicing it in her own home. And so we love that. We love that she's here, but let's start out this section just talking to the parent who's tired. I can hear parents even saying, I feel like I work so hard. I grocery shop. I I get new foods. I hate seeing it get thrown in the garbage because my kids won't eat it. But I even more, it's so hard when I spend a lot of time on this meal. I bring it to the table and then it's chaos. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants to eat it. So I just don't want to try anymore. What do you say to that parent? Yeah, I I would say that that's a season. It is somewhat age specific. You can still, as they get older, you could get some grumbles. and, And then as they really get older and they get their own car, they could go get their own meal. And they do sometimes, right? You know, and I'm always like, that's on your dime, buddy. If you want to go to get Qdoba or whatever, because this didn't work out for you. But when they're younger, I would say, I, I think back to what we talked about before the break, as much as possible, involving them in the decisions. One of the things when my kids were really younger, and especially when Ava was picky, and sometimes even Bennett, who was my good eater as a youngster, he still would like have these days that he wasn't that into it. So I would say, you know, to just maybe sometimes eat on your own. <laughs> I yeah. mean, want to have some gourmet salmon dish. I'm sorry, but you know what? Most kids, I didn't like gourmet salmon dishes when I was little and I love them now. So one mm-hmm. of the things that, so you involve the kids in many plenty as much as possible. But the other thing is don't expect that that five-year-old palate, some five-year-olds do love salmon dishes. Awesome. You've got mm-hmm. that kid. Yay you. But a lot of, like I didn't. So wh- one of the things that I did to take the stress away is it goes back to basics. I call it like health kids charcuterie. So a lot of times, instead of putting out this like amazing meal and spending all the time, uh, we basically had a healthy charcuterie or healthy kids lunchables. And it was again, having the food groups, having healthy basics. I mean, we would spread it out. Even I made it fun. Like I'd put up the charcuterie board, like they were big time and you know, whatever, but they also mm-hmm. kids like to graze. They like to come in and out. They don't want to just sit and have this like big, long meal all the time. I did have an expectation that we would be at the table together for a period of time. Then as they grew up, that wasn't as hard, right? When they're little, they're just moving all over the place. But you know, sometimes it's about food assembly, build your own sandwich. How about Mm. build your own sandwich, walking tacos, these things that we do at sports camps and venues and things like that, that can easily be what you do in your house. So I think what happens is I don't know why we think we need to put out these big glorious meals for five-year-olds, but you don't. And so when the kids were really little and I wanted to have something more expansive, I actually would show them what I'm eating. And I'm like, Hey, do you guys want to try this? And I sometimes get like, Bleh. or I'm like, yeah, I'm curious. Like, let me like, cause they would think, Ooh, I want to be big stuff. But I literally would sit with them while they ate make it family interactive, eat some of their kids charcuterie and be interactive with them. And then they would go off and play, do their thing. And then I would have 
a meal ready for my husband and I to be adults and not have the stress of trying to force some sort of exotic dish on my my child. So I, I think that's part of it too. There were always leftovers. So the next day it's always about trying again, like, hey, do you guys want to try this for lunch? You know, I know you weren't into it yesterday. You want to give it a whirl? And then if not, then it's like, oh, well, here's your option. Build your own sandwich. We've got some soup that I know you like. Da, 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 that That's now your lunch. The tired part comes from over trying. Stop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. The tired part is from over trying. Yeah. Cause that's what I, I hear. It's just enter into the season that you're in and take the expectations away of, of this is how it should be. We should be all sitting together and just let it be the season. And if it's kids eat first and hubby and I eat second, that's okay. It's just okay for right now. And then things will change and and we'll adjust and maybe we'll all eat together in a few months or, or whenever the time is right. That's really good. You know, we've been talking about younger kids quite a bit, but I've just came out of the season. So my son's a freshman in, in college and I just came out of the season. He was a hockey player, obviously the state of Minnesota. It's a, it's a vicious schedule and it's busy all the time. And my daughter was musical theater. And so we were just really busy for a long time. And so we didn't often eat dinner together. And I think that that becomes a stressful thing for some parents too. It's like, we never eat together and I don't even know how to menu plan. And um, I work with families on doing like meal component prepping so that you've got the components. And then when they come home, they can assemble it in any way they want. And sometimes I would catch Bennett for 15 minutes while he was eating, you know, those component meals that he put together before he took off. And, you know, Ava, sometimes maybe it would be, we were have dessert together you know, and that would be our time to connect and to bond. And so I think, you know, as the season progresses too, you won't always eat together, but you still can provide healthy meal components Mm -hmm. like breaded chicken, rice, roasted vegetables, have a wide variety of sauces so they can make different flavors, maybe shredded Mm -hmm. cheese and tortillas, and they can make a, a, you know, a quesadilla, whatever, or a egg scramble, you know, whatever makes them happy. But I think that's the thing to take the stress off of like having to time some meal or, you know, there's a place and time for going to fast casual or even fast food, but Mm -hmm. on the regular just teaches that eating healthy food isn't a priority and we're just going to outsource it to a low nutrient option, which yeah. won't make us feel great. So we hardly ever did. I will say that we hardly ever did go out to eat, even in our busiest seasons, once in a blue moon. And it was usually like out to eat like that. We go out to restaurants and stuff like that, but there was always something in the fridge that they could put in always mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. something that was frozen from a long time ago that they like both my kids love chili. Mm-hmm. So there was always a chili option if there was nothing mm-hmm. else. So yeah. yeah. That's really good. I love even taking the pressure off of that family meal saying, Hey, it's maybe not a family meal every day, but it can be once a week when we fit it into the sports schedule. And then we'll connect at different times, maybe over snack time when everyone gets home at night. And it is like 10 o'clock We're right. You and I are like, we've gone through the teenage years. Yeah. The kids sometimes get home later after all their sports and activities and it's not a full meal, or maybe they are grabbing food, but we've already eaten, but we're all hanging out in the kitchen around the island and spending time together. And so it looks different than maybe the traditional sitting down for a family meal. And this important question, and it's around the parent, us and our relationship with food. And so the question is, 
you know, how do we help our kids when we know that our relationship with food is not great? Yeah, I think that's great. Actually, the first thing that you said is the most important. That person has acknowledged that they don't have a great relationship with food. And I think that's amazing. That actually makes you a very introspective person. And you're already at a place that you can not pass on that legacy to your child because you've already know that you are dealing with your own issues around food. And so I would say that acknowledgement is first. And then if you're acknowledging it, people know what healthy eating patterns are. I mean, they just are having to work through getting over it themselves. So just embody that for, for your child. And I would say that is by having healthful food around and don't label things like I never liked cauliflower. So you're probably never going to like it too. My gosh, please don't say that at like, or dairy doesn't work for me. So I, you know, we're just not going to do dairy or just, you know, all these labels or things, especially I always, and especially when it goes around weight and things like that, because that's an issue for me with my kids, it was always about food fuels performance. So do you want to be faster, stronger, smarter, <laughs> happier, you know, cause your mood is all around food. Do you want to have more energy? Our kids have so much energy, but sometimes they feel like they want to have more <laughs> Do you have foods that decrease energy, Christina? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So, but I would always look at it that way. Like this food will fuel you, you feeling great. This food's not as great at fueling your performance. It's a, a food that we include as part of enjoyment of, of all that God gives us in the food world. But it was really like, let's focus on what fuels you. And let's, let's focus on that being the main thing. And so if you don't have a healthy relationship with food, you do know what food fuels performance. And I think that that the important thing is to also emulate. So here's also another thing. I actually can't drink milk. Like I cannot digest it. Lactose intolerant. Actually, I've got some casein issues. I get things. And so I also don't like the taste of milk. I just don't. So when the kids were little, I would put milk out and I would put it out in front of me too. So we'd have our food out there and I'd have a small glass of milk sitting in front of me and I would like baby sip it. And I would like, you know, have it, we would just be all talking and stuff like that. It took several years, but finally uh, they got bright enough and they go, mom, you never drink your milk. And I said, but you guys like milk, don't you? Well, yeah. I go, that's the point. The point is, is that I role modeled the fact that this is part of a healthy diet and it's, you know, just sitting out there and you liked it. You didn't get stomach aches. So I knew you guys were feeling good because I'd always ask them, like, how do you feel after that glass of chocolate milk? And, Mm -hmm. oh, it's good. You know, if they said they had stomach upset, then I knew they were probably on the same track as me. But anyway, so I think that that's it too. Even if you don't like certain vegetables or fruit or anything, just role modeling to the best that you can. You may never get over your own stuff and you may never eat that food, but they are watching you all the time. And so don't label things as negative and absolutely role model it, even if you're not totally consuming it. I would say that would work if they're really little. I cannot imagine that it could get on if they're a little older. No. And I would say when they're older, I've actually always said, because uh, when I was in college and a lot of young women, you know, go through this and young men as well, I definitely had disordered eating. And I luckily I was a nutrition major. I was very in- interested in optimizing life. So I didn't have a full on eating disorder, but I ate really quirky and I ate uh, things that I thought were going to give me a certain body composition. And it was because of some of the things from my family of origin and past and things 
things like that. And when they got older, I was very open about that struggle. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have known what I did start to learn in college and becoming a dietitian. I really do think it's a blessing. Like God really helped me through that journey of getting over some of those, those negative self-talk and things like that. And mm-hmm. I really do have a lovely relationship with food now, but it was a, a total journey. And I knew I was very passionate once I became a mom myself that I was going to drop my own BS, how, whatever I thought about certain foods or way of eating. And for me, it was always about how can we eat the freshest, best, most nourishing food that God gives us, because that is such an honor to be able to honor our body with really Mm -hmm. good food. And so Mm -hmm. that was just kind of the mantra that I put out there, whether I was still sort of struggling with some of those ideas myself. That's good. Good place to start is always what's going on inside of ourselves Mm -hmm. as we are working through all the issues, but also this one and with kids who have eating aversions and who may only have 10 foods that they like to eat when they are three years old. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what they do? They will, if you are just consistent, that was the word that my daughter used consistent without force. Those Mm -hmm. were the two words she used. And I wanted to hear it from her because, Mm -hmm. you know, that perspective is, and that's what you need to be parents and consistent and loving. Don't make it a power struggle. They literally, I can tell you, you know, I do work with parents and covering some nutrient gaps, but don't just always go, oh my gosh, they didn't eat lunch or they didn't eat this or they, by the way, they don't always need a snack. They don't always need a snack. You do not always have to snack, you know, throw something at them. And that's why making meal time, you know, sacred, like you have to eat some little meal before we think about snacks. Don't worry, kids are resilient. And when they are hungry enough, except for those on an extreme spectrum, you know, kids with just some picky eating, some sensory things, when they are hungry enough and you've got some of their comfortable real foods around, they will really eat. Mm. That's good. Christina, thanks so much for being with us today and sharing so much of your expertise and the expertise you got from living it with your kids. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I've really enjoyed being here. And I really, I just want to take any guilt and shame off of parents' shoulders. You know, it's, it's a weird game we play as parents and your kids really just want to see you happy. So Hmm. just go into it happy and they Hmm. will respond. Well, thanks for tuning in today, friends. Go to our show notes for a link to grab the free ebook called Picky Picky. We are a listener-supported organization. Over 46,000 parents like you listen to this podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I'll see you next time.